In honor of today's conversation, we'd like to give away a ticket to Gig City Elixir. This is pretty exciting. So if you'd like to participate in the drawing, drop a message or a toot on Mastodon to my account. And that is at Red Rapids and drop a hashtag in there. Hashtag Gig City Elixir 2023. And we'll also leave this in the show notes. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to confuse me and Sophie. So when the listeners, you know, tune in, they're not going to be too confused. Welcome back to Beam Radio. I'm Steven Nunez. I'm very excited uh, about today's guest and also to be back. Uh, some listeners might have noticed that I haven't been around for a little bit because I've been hit with some unknown plague. Not quite COVID, but maybe a distant cousin, but I'm back. And antibiotics are amazing. Uh, let's start out by introducing our panel. We have Bruce Tate. Hi, everybody from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we have Lars Vicken. Hello, hello. Awesome. Uh, before we get to our guest, I want to uh, give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, let's start with Groxio. What we got going on in Groxio? We just finished our first open training for a good long while. That was on LiveView. We have one coming up. March the 29th through the 31st. And that's going to be on OTP. That's our basic elixir and intermediate OTP course. So if you're interested, give us, uh, drop us an email and we'll take care of you. Awesome. Sounds amazing. Uh, Lars, what do we got going on at on the yard? Good pronunciation. Well, I'm starting back up with the elixir hiring help. So if you need to recruit elixir developers, uh, reach out. I have had good luck so far, especially with those tricky, tricky, we only want seniors. And then also, I guess I've just started working on the scripts. So the YouTube channel should be picking back up. And I guess, so February will probably be recording and then uh, March would be the next video, I imagine. Awesome. So I want to move on to introducing our guest uh, host shepherd of probably the coolest place on the internet. So I've heard genserver.social. We have Paul Dawson. Paul, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi. Yeah, I'm Paul Dawson um, from Oklahoma City. Those are very kind words. Uh, I hope at least a few of them are true. Uh, yeah, I'm sort of the chaperone, I guess, or the facilitator of genserver.social, which is a place where Elixir and Erlang people can hang out on the Fediverse. Chap chaperone that kind of sounds ominous <laughs> i like shepherd i like that one yeah shepherd is a good i like that one that's it we're just we're just we're just keeping all the all, everyone you know together and having a good time you know yeah that's the hope yeah for sure paul can you tell me a little bit about your elixir story how'd you get into elixir um where do you find yourself with elixir now yeah sure great question so my background as i feel like a lot of Elixir developers uh, was in mostly Ruby and JavaScript. Um, a good friend of mine in real life, our families play games and children grew up together is James Edward Gray or JEG2. And him and I have often worked on like projects. Like we played with Rust for a while and we did Nanda Tetris and built a 3D printer. Um, and sometime in 2016, James started getting into Elixir, actually probably earlier than that, and playing with it a little bit. And it always kind of been in my periphery. Um, at that time, I was working at a consultancy, and they had an Elixir project that they had taken on that we were 
um, doing some stuff with like real-time web sockets and chat and collaboration. Um, and I ended up on that project and found it really approachable and nice and really enjoyed the community. Um, really felt like I was a lot more productive in that and doing some of like the real-time, like, you know, chat, collaboration, passing messages, clustering, like that kind of stuff. Like it really felt a lot more natural than a lot of the other ecosystems I tried to do stuff like that in. Uh, and yeah, and just kind of really fell in love with it, I guess, um, by way of actually, <laughs> so that was like the intro, uh, at that time in 2016, uh, delivering Elixir software was kind of odd, right? Like we had like e-deliver, um, releases were through distillery. There's kind of like this mismatch of like trying to get stuff through and coming from a, a Ruby background, my, uh, you have like this uh, desire to like use these config files, right? And like runtime environment variables and all of that was kind of in a state of flux and a bit of a mess. Uh, and so it's kind of weird to say, but the thing that like really, I think stuck me uh, in Elixir and, and Erlang later was uh, OTP releases. Um, I really, like we struggled with that a lot on that team and trying to figure out how to deploy. Um, and I kind of tried to take ownership of it and play with it a lot. And then learned a lot through reading the distillery source code and came to realize that like, oh, releases are like text files, right? It's like a collection of like, you know, this library, this version, and then like the um, the OTP when it's booting up, it's going and it's reading these text files. And, it's, and I just thought that was like the coolest thing. Like I'd done, you know, Ruby and JavaScript and Rust and these other, and like, it was always this sort of, um, you know, this nebulous concept out here whenever you're like looking into trying to figure out how some of that stuff works. At least for me, I'm not, I have a very, tiny brain, you know, like I, uh, fitting a whole lot of context into my head is a challenge. And so having something like that, where it's like, you could read the distillery source code, you could see, oh, we're building up, we're reading these text files, we're loading these into the beam. And then you could go read like the Erlang documentation for releases. And I don't know, I thought that was really cool. Uh, at that time, you know, everything was sort of Docker and Kubernetes were sort of really starting to gain traction as a way to, um, deploy things repeatably, I guess, or to have deployment artifacts in a more easy way. Uh, and I thought it was really neat that you could just have like this release tarball that you could deploy and it would deploy the same way every way, every time, as long as you were on the same operating system. So yeah, that's sort of how I got into it. Uh, and since then, really most of my jobs after that have all been Elixir, Elixir based. So pretty happy here, love the community, love the ecosystem. Tarballs, <laughs> what's old is new again. It's, yeah. It's always files, just goes back to files. Yeah, it's true. So what prompted you to start GenServer.Social? Were you sort of into the whole Fediverse before, before the entire Twitter meltdown or, or was this prompted along the, the whole Twitter incidents? Yeah, good question. Um, again, uh, so James, Jag2 and I, and a friend of ours, Clayton, we all have uh, Clayton Flesher, who's one of the moderators on Gen Server Social. We um, ha have a weekly like game night where we right now, um, like we're playing an RPG and we like, you know, get together. And I guess whenever it was Twitter was originally taken over, there was like the massive layoffs on that Friday. And I had 
then like it sort of dawned on me that oh wow like this could really fall apart and so i'd made just like a normal mastodon account i think on like mstd and social and that was like my first i guess foray into the fediverse generally um and then you know we're engineers the first question is well how does all this work anyways like this is kind of interesting and different and so started looking at the activity pub spec and like trying to make heads or tails of that and then so one night when we were all playing gloomhaven um james and i were talking about the activity pub spec and uh i guess he had also started reading it and messing with it um and talking about it and oh this would be interesting to like build an elixir implementation of this or whatever like because that's what you do right <laughs> and so uh yeah it was just sort of something rolling around in our heads and then um I started looking around to see like, surely somebody has done this at some point, right? Uh, something like this exists. And so I uh, came across a couple of projects in Elixir, um, both Pleroma and Acoma that uh, were Elixir-based backends for the Fediverse. And um, yeah, that was sort of why we got started. James made an offhand comment, I think about, oh, where well, there's a Ruby social, we don't have one for the Elixir uh, community, do we? And I was like, you know what, maybe we should try that. And then Gen Server Social was an available domain. And I, yeah, spun it up one Friday night. And at first it was just like James and I and a few other people. Uh, we had like 20 or 30 people for a while. And that was pretty much it. Um, and yeah, it was more just, you know, fun, try it out. The longer answer is Twitter has always, or I guess online community has always been, um, I've always been drawn to like sort of weird and unique online communities, like not homogeneous online communities. So when you think of like old, like IRC or like the random AOL chat rooms or like GeoCities, like that kind of internet that was sort of like, um, I don't know, less centralized was always more my jam. And so this kind of, when you start looking at the different servers and the differences between all of them and all this stuff that sort of like clicked or made sense. Um, and I liked it. So I was like, well, maybe we'll just have a little server and it'll be fun. And this is a place where I can sort of reconnect with some of my friends from Twitter. Um, ultimately like, yeah, Twitter was a place I've been on Twitter since like 2011, I think I've had I've seen friends, you know, get married, go through divorces, lose pets, have children. Like, I loved Twitter because it was such a, a, a tool where you could connect with all kinds of different people from different places. And so this kind of felt like something that could do something similarly, but um, with less centralization, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what is it about the Elixir community in general that makes you think that, that this is a particularly good fit? And by the way, I'm, I'm like you, I love Twitter. I love kind of the short format where, you know, you have to, you have to kind of distill ideas at, at its best, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how, what do I think this brings to the Elixir community? Um, it's a good question. So the Elixir forum is awesome. Uh, it's a bit, longer format right like you really have like a specific question or you're doing a specific thing um and it's all very you know moderated to be elixir centric and stuff like that um the thing that i liked about twitter and the thing that i like about these shorter form more social type networks right is like everybody on this call everybody that i know in the elixir community is so much more than just like 
elixir questions right or elixir tech like or erlang or whatever like we all have hobbies we all have pets we all have families we all have lives outside of just being a software developer um and i feel like these types of small social communities the um the barrier to like creating a new post is quite low. So you can sort of share those parts of yourself, right? Like, what am I listening to? What am I baking? <laughs> what am I doing? Whatever. And that's fine. You know, that's great because that, that's encouraged. Uh, but also we can sort of be, you know, similarly bound together by like our love for like the Beam ecosystem. Um, and so it gives us sort of like a connection point, but also um, a way to sort of share and interact with different parts of ourselves. Yeah, if you are participating in the ecto mailing list, it's not really appropriate for you to say, oh, I had a really rough day today, or, oh, it's so fun being out with the kids, or sort of getting into, like, how would you deploy something that isn't Elixir? I'm a little bit un unclear on, and sort of go off uh, and still get support and input from the community you've chosen, the community you like the people that you have sort of shared footing with. Uh, I was genuinely concerned when Twitter started to get into this whole Elon Musk situation because while Twitter is not the only community space in the Elixir community by far, like there's a Slack, there's a Discord, there's the forum, uh, and many, many sort of individual smaller groups. There's a Telegram channel. There's there's tons of spaces. But I feel like Twitter was always the glue point where if you wanted to keep track of the Elixir community, if you wanted to know what was going on, or if you wanted to know if something was announced, it would be on Twitter. And that's where people from these different spaces overlapped and intersected and in directed. So I was really worried about that going away and sort of splintering the community into these these sections that mostly don't interact because for some people the Elixir form is perfect. I sort of bounce off of it. I don't have the time to invest in that longer form. I, and it doesn't work for me currently. It's, just, it's not a knock on the form. It's just not for me. And I really like Twitter. But I, so far, I like I like the Fediverse more. I'm personally not on GenServer.Social because I signed up slightly before you started it, and I didn't bother moving. Uh, so I'm a Fosterton.org, but I can follow everyone on GenServer.Social just fine. I'm curious, what what's the headcount like right now? If you said you were 20, 30 people, I imagine it's a little bit more now. Yeah. There are dozens uh, of us, dozens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, for a long time, yeah, it was 20 or 30 people um after james joined and we sort of announced it on twitter a few times and talked about it a bit uh i think we're just over about 700 active users and then a couple others that are still in somewhere in between confirming their email account or being approved or whatever um i think of that 700 i don't track if you read the privacy policy no i'm not like tracking metrics or really keeping anything that's not essential for troubleshooting like data on gen server social so i don't have like a good grasp of how many are active but or like daily active 
Um, but there's a good assortment of names that come through there. Um, I'd say probably if I had to guess, maybe about a hundred or so people are, are coming through and checking stuff and following people and being followed and doing that kind of stuff. But how will you know if you're meeting your OKRs and what will you do when the VCs come and you need to show monthly active users that this is no good, this won't do. <laughs> yeah, no. That's your plans to raise engagement. That really means, yeah, let's get into that. Raising engagement. Yeah, not, not an objective of mine. Um, my, my hope is that it is a enjoyable and welcoming and, um, fun place to come and, you know, share parts of yourself and maybe meet other people who you wouldn't have met otherwise and, uh, give you an entry point into the Fediverse, whether or not you want to hang out and stay on gen server social, or if you move on to another server later or whatever, um, it's just, uh, my my only OKR is to yeah just sort of be a facilitator I guess or a shepherd that was the word earlier I like that word. So if Lars or I wanted to move, what would the process be like? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, we have had a few people move. The process is on your account, and I'm probably there's documentation on this. I'm doing it off the top of my head. So this is probably going to be wrong, but I'll try and go through it. You on your account, you set up, I think it's like an alias um, that points to your new account. And then um, you uh, like actually initiate the move that says I'm moving to this account um, on gen server social or wherever you're moving to. And then that server then basically goes through and takes all of your current followers and unfollows your, or sends a note to their server, which has their server unfollow your current account and then follow the new account, assuming they have follow moves setting on or whatever, um, and goes through that process. There are some like caveats. Um, I don't, your posts don't come across. So any of your posts on your old server, aren't just gonna magically pop up on the new server. Um, I'm pretty sure block lists and follows and stuff like that, or people who you follow, you have to export from your server uh, and then re-import on the new server. So it's not like, a, you know, you just click a button and you're done. It takes a little bit of, of babysitting, um, but it is possible. And it's possible to go the other way too. I know a few people have moved out of gen server social since it started. So it is definitely possible to go the other way. Um, but yeah, and there's also, if you have like thousands of followers, I guess there is a known problem where, um, some of them can get stuck <laughs> where what'll happen is like, because you can effectively like denial of service, uh, attack a server. If the server is like not provisioned enough to handle, and you have 50,000 followers and you switch to a server, then all of a sudden, all of those 50,000 followers servers are saying, are trying to follow your new account, like at once or within a few seconds of one another, uh, which can cause some interesting issues, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I've when heard I migrated. That, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I've heard that some of the larger, uh, follower bases have, have had some trouble with, with moving accounts and it's, I doubt we'll, we would have much issue, but it's also interesting. There are some real scalability challenges in the federated nature and the push nature of sort of Mastodon, the Mastodon aspect of the Fediverse, I would say, where I've heard that certain people, when they post a link, 
suddenly they have 20,000 requests hit that link to make a preview. Like, I bet this can be tackled in a in a decently graceful way over time, but it's it can certainly sort of overwhelm uh, an innocent server somewhere when because they are they are independent, and that's where sort of the resilience and the the resilience not just as a system but also as a social construct where like you we won't lose the entirety of Mastodon to the actions of one person, the actions of one company, because that's not the way it's run. But it also means that there, uh, there's challenges in building distributed software, didn't you know? Uh, and distributed systems, even when they're human systems. So there, there are some, there are some corners of Mastodon and all that are not all that polished. Now you don't run the mainline Mastodon as far as I'm aware. So can you tell me a little bit about that software you're running? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, where to start? So as we talked about a little bit before, I had gone in search of Elixir, um, implementations of ActivityPub and stuff, uh, because while I was interested in maybe running a server, um, I've, and I'll, I'll caveat this by saying, um, I don't, I'm not making a moral judgment about technology. Uh, I have a lot of friends using a lot of different technologies and I'm a big fan of using the tool that you like and using what you're comfortable with and using what you're most productive with. Um, I don't think we should make, you know, those types of this is good or this is bad or whatever, like those types of judgments about different texts and communities. Um, but for me personally, I did not feel excited about devopsing ruby again i've sort of done that um and it's not my favorite activity uh, and i'd also seen sort of the challenges um that you were alluding to a minute ago about big you know people with lots of followers joining servers and the servers going down or like every time something went wrong at twitter um something fell down you know like uh, half a million people would try and join mastodon.social or something ridiculous would happen and the server would go down and i'd see, i follow a couple of people who are um admins of other smaller mastodon instances and seen sort of their struggles and issues they were having with um scaling and, and getting things to work or whatever. And so uh, I really kind of wanted something that was Elixir based because that's what I most recently have the most experience with troubleshooting and scaling and dealing with and, you know, introspecting and all of those types of things. Like I'm real comfortable with that. Whereas I haven't done Ruby stuff in what, five or six years now. So <laughs> it would have been, I would have had to go back and relearn a lot of stuff. Um, and so, and then also if I was going to start an Elixir community, like I wanted it to be on Elixir, right? Like, why not? <laughs> it just makes sense. Uh, and so, yeah, I found Pleroma. Um, the first version of GenServer Social was running on Pleroma for a little while. And um, back to the consultancy that I mentioned at the beginning that I used to work for, one of the core engineering principles there uh, they were big proponents of like less code, of, of trying to build really small composable tools. And they were also very, very 
considerate of dependencies and software that you take on, that you're going to bring into the ecosystem or maintain or whatever, if that makes sense. Um, and so that sort of, for me, anytime I'm looking at a piece of software that I am going to be deploying or taking care of or something like that, um, I go through a process of, let's look at the open issues. Let's look at the open pull requests. Let's go look at historical ones. Let's look at the code of conduct. Let's sort of look at how this software is um, maintained over time, right? Because if I'm going to be running the server, like presumably at some point, I'm going to have an issue. We're going to interact with them. I'm going to be bringing, hopefully bringing people from the Elixir community in to help support this. Um, and I want it to be a, uh, a welcoming place, a good place where, you know, people from all sorts of different backgrounds and all sorts of uh, different experience levels can come in and, and feel welcome and feel productive. Uh, and at that time, this was, you know, a couple of months ago, it seemed like there were a couple of issues where uh, Plurimo wasn't releasing often. It had a lot of open issues. There was no co code of conduct. There was a lot of pull requests that were sort of dangling. And so it was like, man, I'm going to have to like fork this or we're going to have to like, like getting things going um, maybe a struggle, right? Which is fine. Um, but I did some more research and dug around a bit and found some other forks and came across a coma, uh, which had, which ticked a lot of the boxes. It seemed like um, the maintainer, she was taking a lot of care uh, with the issue tracker, was merging pull requests, was accepting feedback. Uh, there was a blog post that I found about sort of why it had been forked that made a lot of sense to me. Um, and so, yeah, so I ended up migrating the server to Acoma. Uh, we've gone through two Acoma upgrades now. I, I believe her release cadence is about once a month. There was a month off for the holidays. And so far, it's been really great. Um, definitely had some <laughs> interesting scaling issues. Of course, uh, yeah, when I got a message from Jose that was like, hey, can I get an invite? It was like, hmm, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Uh, but for the most part, it's been pretty great. Uh, yeah, I was we... wondering about that because I imagine one of the biggest bumps must have been around when Jose sort of by joining gave an informal official sign off. This is the new place for the Elixir community, regardless if that was his intent. I don't think he considers himself as steering the community like that. But I also know he's mindful that he is, when he makes a move like that, it's going to have an impact. Uh, yeah. Clearly he thought like, oh, well, this, this seems worth worth trying. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Bit of <laughs> yeah, a bump, was... I imagine. Um, so that was less, that actually went through okay. I had, when James joined and tweeted about it, there was... A fair number of people who had joined and and Acoma is really, I mean, th this isn't running Obon, it's Elixir. So like it does, a, it, it's really resource efficient. So, um, and I mean, as we know, like knocking over uh, a Phoenix app or knocking over an Erlang app is, is challenging, right? Like it's not, um, you don't have like one process per server request or you do, but not in the same way that you do in Ruby, right? Where you're like constantly forking and like building out or in Python, right? Um, it's a lot better at handling all of this simultaneous stuff. And in the architecture of it itself, where it's sort of 
handing off these things to built-in job queues or whatever to like um, process incoming and outgoing Fediverse messages and stuff like that, I think really helped facilitate that part of it. I think um, the first big bump and see, and that one I had warning for, which was nice. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we're going to provision a new server. Uh, we're going to run some tests. <laughs> we're going to like, sure. Okay. And I, I, when I got that message, um, yeah, I replied, it was like, uh, yeah, so this is like, I don't know how good moving in and out is if you have a lot of followers. I don't know how, like, this is all sort of like an experiment. We have, you know, 45 users. I don't, he's like, oh yeah, 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 it's fine. It'll be fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, so that was good. Um, the first big bump was actually the post uh, where he was about um, when he was alluding about the uh, Bumblebee stuff and that I so that was, which was awesome and like got a lot of traction in the Fediverse everything was great and then like one Wednesday morning I wake up and like all the server CPUs are pegged um, the database is fine uh, but I'm like what is happening like I don't know and I like going through the logs like trying to figure out what's getting hit um, and then eventually came to figure out that somebody had shared that post on Hacker News and then it like made it to like the front page or something that was like actually a link to his post Dungeon Server Social. So it's just like tons of people clicking that link. Yeah, that was that was a near miss, but um, it stood up. That was that was a lot of traffic in a very short amount of time uh, that I was not really expecting or prepared for, uh, but we survived. <laughs> okay, so you're starting to, to mention provisioning another server and having a lot of traffic that you didn't expect. Um, do you need financial help? And is there a way that people can financially help if you do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I have started the process of setting up official like PayPal's and Libra pays and things like that. If people want to donate, um, I sort of started this under the understanding that I would just pay for it and it was fine. <laughs> and so uh, I would say right now, like it's not, you know, a huge burden or something. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, I've had a couple of people reach out to me about that. And it's something that I have in the works. I'm just very slow when it comes to doing like paperwork <laughs> and setting up bank accounts and PayPal's and, you know, LLCs and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, that's not my favorite activity. So at some point in the future, uh, I will probably post out some links or add them to the Gen Server Social like little instance panel uh, where you can donate if you want to. But um, yeah. So to the listeners of the podcast, if there's a show note that has a way to donate, then Paul has done so by the time we release. And, and if not, there's none. Yeah. And it totally sounds like fair. if there's someone out there who just loves doing admin. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe reach out. If we know any corporate lawyers. Um, no, ultimately, I would like this to be more of a collective effort and less me. I think that was another thing whenever we were talking about starting this um, and James and I were discussing it. And just in general, I'm always very leery of communities where there's like you know, one point of failure. I feel like we're all stronger together. And also like, I mean, I'm just a like, you know, pretty generic 
random white guy straight like i have so many different blind spots and so many different there's so many other different experiences of the world out there that are not mine that i don't understand that having more people uh that are a part of organizing and running the community um who are you know bring those other experiences and that other background um i think is a lot better for longevity and a lot better for just being a more welcoming and open, stable community. So. Sounds good. I will say I did actually reach out to the developer behind Acoma and to see if he was interested in being on the pod. And he wasn't, uh, not, not happy to be on a mic uh, as far as I gathered. And that's perfectly fine. Um, but I did dig in at one point sort of because I had heard that some people had problems with Pleroma, more social problems than technical. And I dug into that a little bit and we don't need to get into the details, but they're out there if you need them. But essentially, Pleroma was created. It's also an Elixir Mastodon uh, activity pub uh, project. And it has a pretty heavy focus and has had a pretty heavy focus on the free speech aspect of decentralization and federation. And that's all that can all often get into sort of um, this um, push and pull with being decent to people because some people want free speech for uh, for the lulls and some people want it because they want to be themselves on the internet. There's a, a bit of contrast and conflict there. And I believe the Roma was sort of, as you alluded to, it was not being developed all that actively when the Acoma fork was made. And there's a blog post around this. And the Acoma fork is also more opinionated. Like I believe floating ghost is the nickname of, of the person running it she has ideas about where she wants to take the project. And that was her main disagreement with the project as, as it stood that there was not a clear direction for, for Pleroma. There were things they would not cut. There were things they would not add sort of, which, which might have hindered the project to some extent. And I think Acoma seems like a healthy, healthy project uh, actively developed going forward. So, and also fun. There's a lot of sort of, oh, you want to make it your own, you want to make it fun, you want to sort of put character into your into your specific instance, go right ahead. That seems to be part of it. There's also, I will shout out a different podcast. It's a crime, but I will do it. Thinking Elixir just had on, I don't have the name in front of me, but the per, one person behind the bonfire framework which is sort of a framework of Elixir libraries that you can put together to create activity pub instances, depending on what you want them to do. Super interesting project. Well worth listening to that episode if you're curious about activity pub and all of this. Um, I had never heard of it and it was a fascinating listen. So it's fun to see that there are so many uh, activity pub focused projects out there in Elixir. And I think it uh, it sort of meshes quite well with activity pub and activity streams overall and and also in just uh, pure scalability i i will say other other languages also have their activity pubs i i fond of 
of what seems to be a very simple, sort of simplistic one in Go. It's just named Honk. Just seems seems like a fun project. <laughs> but I'm very glad that there are those in Elixir. Much like you, I'm curious about running these things. But I'm also very hesitant when I see that they run on ecosystems that I don't really prefer operating. <laughs> and you can't always get all your software in Elixir, unfortunately. Now, how have you deployed it? Adding, you're adding more servers. Like, what's the what's the deployment story like? How did you set this all up? Uh, yeah, also a great question. Right now, we are on DigitalOcean. Um, I wanted to try and do this without AWS as much as possible. Um, so I chose DigitalOcean again because it's a tool that I know and that I work with a lot. Um, I use Terraform for a lot of the provisioning. Um, I'm using Packer to build server images uh, using their DigitalOcean builder, um, and then some some shell scripts that are Glue. Uh, I I have plans to open source some of this. There's a GitHub that serves as our sort of community tracker for Gen Server Social, um, and I would like to share some of these for if somebody else would like to deploy their own instances and do their own things and just as a sort of you know learning stepping off point one interesting note about pleroma and acoma is that they're more i see it more as like a uh or a lot of their server walkthrough type stuff is a lot more it's super helpful the docs are awesome it's very well laid out very easy to follow i had very few issues going through it initially um but a lot of it works similarly to what I would imagine like like forum software, right? Like uh, like old BB forums or something where you like deploy the forum and then it's just running there on a server. You're not idempotently spinning up new servers or spinning down servers or whatever. It's just kind of running. And then you make config changes to that server sort of while it's running, um, which is great uh, for a lot of people and a lot of admins. I'm not, I'm much more of the... Uh, I should be able to spin this image up like <laughs> instantly and it should run fresh and I shouldn't have to like configure anything. And if I need a new one, I just kill the old one and spin up a new one. So a lot of what I've had to do has been sort of marrying those two approaches, uh, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And a lot of the cleanup and stuff on the shell scripts that I'm wanting to do is mainly there's the, I think it's actually like the Mastodon's admin covenant or something that's like this idea of you give people three months notice um before you shut down um more than one person has keys to the server like that kind of stuff and uh i want to get more of this more approachable and less in my head so that it would be easier to bring on people who i can also like okay here <laughs> so there's other people who can help manage the hardware uh more more so than just me um for longevity's sake and stuff uh as far as multiple servers go uh right now yeah it's running on one instance sort of behind a uh a, or there's the server instance and then there's the database instance uh i did split those um i'm running the database as a service from DigitalOcean with varying degrees of success it's been okay i guess um one of my to-do list items is I would, I think, like to maintain my own database cluster, mainly because the one on DigitalOcean, um, you don't have 
like the super user role you can't have. Uh, it, it does handle a lot of really good things for you. Like you get point in time recovery, uh, you get automatic failover node, which works perfectly. It actually happened to Gen server social. Uh, and uh, you can fork databases to different regions. Like it does provide a lot of really great services um, out of the box, but there's also uh, the, the trade-off of that is you don't get some of the tuning capabilities or introspective capabilities or um, even like an RDS, right? You can dump out an uh, RDS database on AWS to a snapshot and then you can take that snapshot and do whatever for like automated backups, um, right? So like if you're very anxious like me <laughs> and you're like, do I trust that they have these backups and these failovers? I don't know. I want to export my own backup and store it in this encrypted storage, right? Then you have to sort of do some of that stuff is more complicated with that system. Um, and it's also kind of expensive. Um, and then, yeah, the app server is, what are we running right now? I think an eight gig for CPU. Um, yeah. And it runs along quite well. If, as far as scaling goes or deployments, what I usually do is spin up, it's all in a VPC with one entry point, And I will spin up a parallel server that I check for if it's healthy or not, but it's not actually connected to the internet. Um, because I don't know enough about a coma and the Fediverse yet to know if it's safe to actually have multiple ones, if they will do weird stuff or fight over jobs or do whatever. Um, so it spins up one, make sure it's healthy. And then if it is, then it puts that one into rotation and disconnects the other one. Um, and that's sort of how I roll forward changes without downtime. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'd, I'd love to, a couple of things on my to-do list to try are seeing if I can disable, right now, Obon and jobs processing is built into the same application server. It would be cool if I could um, spin up a server just by disabling Obon jobs processing and then have like one that's just like a jobs processor and one that's just like the web server or even have multiple that are just the web server uh, and one that's the Obon jobs or even clustering, that kind of stuff. Um, lots of fun things to play with that I... I haven't had time yet that might help with scaling, but really for the most part, like I said, we survived hacker news and it was fine. It was just a little worrying there for a few hours. So sounds like we should be paging uh, Parker Selbert. Um, I'm sure you'll have some, some help to figure out how to, how to potentially separate Obon. I know for a fact that that's perfectly doable in General in the general case, I'm not sure. It depends a little bit on how a coma is set up specifically, of course. Well, and it's a bit of a challenge because one of the benefits I think of a coma is that you can, as an admin, if you're having like a three or four person server, like you can just have it on one server. It's quite amazing, really, right? Like you just have your little release and you can even run your database on the same thing. Like you can run it on a Raspberry Pi. Like that's like a really core part sort of I feel like of this type of server and community or whatever. And I think that's great. Like I like the, um, we talked a little bit about how like there are different servers and different technologies and different ecosystems sort of contributing. And I think that's like one of the things that I really, really like about the Fediverse is that there is just like this breadth of different things. Um, so like my concern with the Obon stuff or my thought is like, if you start separating, how can you separate bits like that in a way that is not antithetical sort of to some of those um, more overarching goals of 
of how you know people are currently using Acoma that doesn't bother other people or you know upset people in the way they are using it. I want to hear a little bit more about your about what's gone really well with Elixir about what spikes that you were what performed well maybe beyond your expectations. What performed well? Definitely the Hacker News event. <laughs> I would say that was definitely uh, what went really well. Um, and what about the Hacker News? What do you think performed particularly well? What's what? How did it? What did Elixir bring to that scenario that that maybe you wouldn't have had with another with another platform? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So in other ecosystems, right? You have sort of a process and then you have a web server that's like forking off different versions of the application that is like handling requests or whatever. And you have to sort of tune this and handle it um, in different ways. And I feel like what the benefit of Phoenix and Elixir in general is that those types of processes are very, are native and are, are very lightweight and very easy. Um, to spin up. So I think that was definitely a part of it that it was just like, sure, you know, 500 simultaneous requests. Why not? Like, let's just go for it. Um, and then the other part of it too, I think is Acoma itself has some built-in caching of media um, and of stuff. And I think that helped a lot too. Um, and so I think it was a combination of those two factors that really helped it sort of just keep running, even though it was just getting hammered there for a while. And have you noticed crashes in the logs where gen servers, where your supervision kind of kicked in and, and helped you out? Um, there have been a few, usually the ones, that, the ones that have happened have usually been my fault uh, in playing with configuration settings and doing things that I probably shouldn't be doing. So uh, you can adjust queue lengths or uh, uh, like worker, the number of workers for queues and stuff like that. Um, and like database connection pools and things like that. And you can very easily get yourself into situations where you have database contention issues. Um, and so then like supervision processes. So you'll start getting some crashes, like this service crashing and shutting down. This one's crashing and shutting down. You're like, what is happening? Like, what did I do? And it turns out it's like, and I mean, it restarts and it's fine, uh, automatically. Like a lot of it, you don't have to touch, which is great, but, um, oh, those types of things, troubleshooting them, it usually came back to, oh, I set the, um, the like federation worker queue too high and they were fighting over database connections and then so they were crashing because they couldn't get one in time and then they were you know this cascaded over here or whatever that kind of stuff so and as you grow what are you most concerned about as i grow what am i most concerned about um right now honestly i think it's postgres <laughs> uh it's been um I think I've tracked down the issues that I was having with it initially. It's been much better now, but I think that's mostly where I'm at at the moment. I would like to just me personally would like to have multiple runnings, like front end services, um, because I don't like having single points of failure. Um, so it's, it's easy to have, you know, like a, a database and a database failover node, um, 
but uh, yeah, so that that's more where I'm at, I think, as we go is trying to figure out how to handle that bit so that we can have three or four. And honestly, like an, another point, I know we joked about OKRs and engagement and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I have mixed feelings or uh, as far as like Fediverse servers go. And again, these are just like my ill-informed opinions as somebody who's relatively new to the Fediverse, but um, like, I am not one to push for like, oh, I want, you know, 200,000 members or something like that, right? Like I like small, weird internet communities. <laughs> Those are very near and dear to my heart. So I would like much rather have, you know, 500 like engaged, cool, diverse, interesting, like fun people to be around than like, you know, than to say, oh, we have this server that's running 50,000 users on eight gigs of RAM or something like that, if that makes sense. So like, um, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the hard part about a community is, is less the technical and more the personal and the nurturing and the moderation and the community building that goes into that. Um, so as far as growth goes on the tech side, I'm like, yeah, we'll figure it out. But like, the care and the stuff that I think um, will take a lot more work is is on on the people and and the the like real community building side. If that answers your question, are you saying that we're gonna have to put effort into the human side of code again? <laughs> this keeps coming up. It so turns for, out, yeah. For for tech, they keep saying like. Uh, cattle not pets but whenever i try to apply that to people they get so upset just so so very upset no thank you this has been a an amazing journey to and a little bit more heartfelt than i honestly expected about a mastodon server uh, i'm also a big fan of of weird quirky and small communities and i'm very glad that honestly i think i'm glad that we are to some extent, as an Elixir community off of Twitter. I don't think everyone is, and I don't think we need everyone to be. But we have another place to be, and it can be slightly weirder, slightly smaller, or a slightly weirder and slightly smaller community. And I think that's, I think that's great. Yeah, sort of on that note, I'm curious. You came to the Fediverse before... I think before me, <laughs> and and we're sort of more of an early adopter on the Elixir side for sure. Um, I'm wondering what sort of drew you in and what differences you found um, from from Twitter. Like, what what are some of the things that you liked or that kept you around? So I registered for Mastodon probably. Well, it was years ago, and I just dug up that account when when this news came about because I've been trying Mastodon a little bit and was like, yeah, this is actually annoying, sort of uh, enjoyable, not annoyable, enjoyable. Uh, but it was also sort of uh, an odd place. I didn't know the people. So I just ended up not using it at that point. And then when the Twitter kerfuffle started, and people started to shift towards Mastodon way before any announcement of genserver.social. I dug up the account, 
checked in, started looking about and sort of, yeah, this is kind of nice. And I see, I saw some people moving over, like some of us in Elixir moved early, some, some waited, some haven't moved at all, I imagine. And I've always been keen on sort of the uh, federated or the decentralized or the independent, just things that are more human scale or at least resilient to to the pressures of capital because it's that's that's fundamental to my to my beliefs and that's why I went exploring there and overall I felt like it was a higher signal compared to Twitter overall and there was more conversation it had a feeling of Twitter reinterpreted by the norms of IRC. And as someone who has been on IRC and been in the open source world and tracked it for some time, I felt comfortable there. And I know that this, this is a point of controversy and something I think the Fediverse will, will sort of have to evolve to meet. But it's very comfortable for some people. It's very comfortable for comfortable people generally. Uh, if you're If you're a white guy in tech, it's like, yeah, I feel at home here. This is what I'm used to. Uh, at least if you're someone who, who's sort of steeped in tech since the, your teens, this is super comfortable. It's a bunch of open source folk, the same people you've seen on Slashdot, <laughs> same people that was on SourceForge, I guess. Uh, it just goes way back. And in many ways, it's the, it's the new place for that, but I also think it has every bit the potential to be a new place for all sorts of people. It might not be for everyone. Not everything has to be perfect for everyone, but I'm I'm glad to see some effort towards sort of widening that. Also, I think parts of what made Twitter worse over time was also that it was trying to be everything for everyone, but also that it had no uh, no sort of identity, no clarity on what it needed to be to survive. And sort of the warping of business incentives. And that is what the I think the Fediverse is, is blessedly free from. Some instances will be pressured by like <laughs> some instances have been bought. It's like, okay, yeah. I wonder how that's going to shake out. And some will, I bet there will be instances that start showing ads. And I guess that's fine. People can move on from that. Um, the important part is that it, that the norms are still good overall and that there are places that, where people can be and have a good time. And I was very glad to see that a bunch of the people I follow and care about in the Lexic community shifted over and rather quickly at that. And like better, the apps are getting better. The apps were already good enough. Like compared to Twitter, you don't get ads. You don't get sort of the algorithmic feed shoved down your throat. Overall, I think it's a nicer experience in many ways. Maybe not as polished, but nicer. Uh, so I think that's that's the mix I experienced. And then I was thrilled to see that there are alternative implementations. Um, in Elixir, 
because as mentioned, I prefer hosting Elixir. Now I'll, I'll happily explore pixel fed and peer tube and all of those, but they're not in Elixir. So I'm always tempted, like maybe I could just write one and no, I shouldn't. I really, really should not try. I hope that answers your question. Oh, no, that was a great answer. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Paul, thanks for coming on. If, if folks want to find you on the Fediverse, on the internet, in the universe, how can they find you? Um, yeah, I guess I'm at GenServerSocial at PaulyD, P-A-U-L-Y-D. Um, that's where I'm mostly hanging out now. And thanks a lot for having me. This has been a really, really fun conversation. Um, I really appreciate this podcast uh, and like it and have been listening to it and appreciate your services to the community. So thank you all. Awesome. It was great having you on. Thanks everyone for listening. And thanks to our sponsors, Underyord and Groxio, Career Fuel for Programmers. Wrap. <laughs>